Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is Manesh Pure. Manesh has over two decades of experience leading multinational organizations in entrepreneurship, corporate transformation, business development, and strategic planning. Today, he's getting the opportunity to put all of those things to work as the founder and CEO of Byhive. So hi, Manesh. Thank you so much for being with me today. Hi, Kelly. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have uh, to be on this podcast. I've been listening to Sourcing Hero. Being in the sourcing, sourcing industry, we have to listen to Sourcing Hero. I'm glad to be on there. And you know what? Flattery will get you everything. So thank you for saying that. <laughs> I mean um, it. <laughs> so I shared, you know, very high level about some of the areas of expertise that you've built up during your career. But what else would you like for people to know about your professional journey to this point? Yes. So, you know, I mean, I, I think the biggest achievement for me through my career is the opportunity that I had to work in different geographies, right? I started my career in India. I moved to Taiwan in manufacturing. I, I then moved to China, uh, did a lot of manufacturing and manufacturing management, moved to uh, Hong Kong, worked in sourcing, sourcing platform, uh, moved to New York, managed a sourcing platform as well as managed factory compliances in North America and Latin America, got to travel all around Latin America, Colombia, to Mexico, to Argentina, to Brazil, uh, Nicaragua, Ecuador. So it's been interesting experience there. Then I got to move, uh, live in Europe, manage sourcing in Eastern Europe. That was a great experience. Again, very different places. Czechoslovakia, Poland, very different in terms of manufacturing as compared to the manana nature in Latin America. And then come back to Hong Kong and now living in Shanghai. So it's been, uh, I think it's a humbling experience just learning from how manufacturing happens around the world, how sourcing happens around the world. This is amazing. I think you may be one of the most traveled people that I've ever spoken with. But I have to ask, is there a place on your list that you have not yet been that you definitely want to make sure you have the opportunity to either visit or work in, either way? You know, I, I do want to explore manufacturing further in Eastern and Northern Africa. Uh, I think the future of manufacturing, future of sourcing across categories is going to be in Africa. And I do want to explore that. I have never been there. I've been to South Africa uh, and Egypt, and those are the only two countries I've visited in Africa. But I would like to visit many more countries in Africa, see how it's progressing, what's the manufacturing changing, and what are the aspects of it uh, that we can pretty much use what we've learned in Asia and uh, Europe into Africa. Well, if you ever do make it there, 
drop me a note. We'll have you back on to talk about the experience. Um, and it's, you know, I have to imagine focusing in manufacturing and sourcing, but in so many different environments and countries around the world has to sort of help you rise above and look at things from a more macro perspective. Um, so I would be interested in having you talk a little bit about some of the macro trends that you follow and that you find particularly interesting. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for asking that question, Kelly. So, you know, um, we, on, on a macro level, w- what I found very, very interesting over the, so I've had 20 something years of experience in this manufacturing and sourcing industry, as you pointed out. And it, it, even during those 20 years, there has been so much change. So one of the examples of that is, you know, um, we used to learn, uh, uh, I, I was a I was a buff of history. I never remember the dates of what happened when, but I used to remember what happened in the Industrial Revolution in Europe. And you think of it, the Industrial Revolution in Europe was almost 500 years. Then there was the revolution in the US, which was 100 years. Japan did it in probably less than 100 years and uh, about 50 years. And China did that whole revolution in about 20 years. And when I start think about the revolution, everybody knows these facts. But when you think about that industrial revolution, you think about what are the industries that came in first and which exited first from these countries. And one of the industries that really, really excites me and entices me is the fast fashion and the fashion industry. Today, Mm -hmm. we call it the fast fashion industry. But the fashion and the apparel and the manufacturing of apparel industry is really, really incredible because it used to take a lot more time to manufacture products in the fashion industry. Uh, the time got shorter. The countries that were the manufacturing capitals from uh, U.S. to then Japan and then to uh, Taiwan and then Hong Kong moved to China. It's moving away from China right now. We are seeing a drastic move from China to Vietnam to Mexico to uh, Nicaragua to Ecuador to every other place other than China. And the important thing about this is that when the move happened from Japan to China or Japan to Taiwan, it was the Japanese that are investing in manufacturing these countries for low cost labor. And now you see all the Chinese investing in uh, factories or manufacturing in Southeast Asia. They're manufacturing in Europe, Eastern Europe. They're uh, They're manufacturing Chinese factories in Africa and South America. And that's the trend that excites me. So it's a very different way of seeing it, which we never would have analyzed or which we never would have seen in the past. That, that is incredibly interesting. And, and to watch these trends and to watch, I mean, certainly part of what happens is when a country becomes a hub of outsourced labor, it actually improves, which is a good thing, the economic conditions in that area. But then by default, one of the consequences is that you're no longer probably the lowest cost. And so yeah. everything shifts. How interesting to sort of watch that move around the world. Yeah. And, and I mean, if you see the labor intensity of an industry like apparel, right, it's a cut and sew business. Mm-hmm. And the cut and sew business is which employs the largest labor. And when you are a growing nation, you want to employ as many people as possible. And at that time, it's exciting to have the apparel industry in your country. But as soon as you become a developing nation, you don't want those jobs. You don't want to subsidize those jobs. You don't want those people uh, in the cut and sew business. You want them in the high tech business. You want a 
higher skilled labor. So it's from an economic perspective, that's very necessary for the country to develop out of it. But to develop that to that level, you still need that industry. So it's a, it's a very interesting kind of a dichotomy of the industry. Absolutely. Now, let me sort of pivot here and get some of your thoughts on procurement. You know, we talked about your extensive background um, and we're in a time where for a bunch of different perspectives, third-party platforms are on the rise. Now, some of this is happening because it has been so much easier to build a best-of-breed ecosystem as opposed to being forced to invest in in an end-to-end platform. Uh, But the investment money is surging into procurement and supply chain right now. How do you think the growth and the evolution and the strength of these innovative platforms is actually impacting procurement teams' opportunity to create new value? Yeah, so I I would simplify the situation, right? So if you look at uh, 10 years back, or even five years back, the industry was populated by big big box retailers. Yeah. The big box retailers like Macy's and uh, the ones that passed like Robinson May and the others in the US, right? There was a lot of retailers, big box retailers that we call, and they were doing really, really well. And they were the major players in the market. They had sourcing teams in different parts of the world. Now that model changed into fast fashion. You had the Forever 21s, you had the Zara's and H&M's come in. But those have been beaten down and now we have the era of Amazon sellers and Sheen sellers. Those guys sell on uh, sell and ship directly from the source. Uh, they airship the goods out of uh, China. They airship the goods out of Mexico or wherever they're manufacturing. And that's changing the world drastically or in the electronics industry it has it has drastically deferred because now the products are made closer to home or they are shipped directly from the factories as well and customized to the customers needs and all those changes that are happening are kind of driving the industry to move from uh, from being kind of this laid back every season seasonal goods to becoming uh, almost in-time inventory kind of product, right? And in-time, I I would even uh, call it just-in-demand product. It is not just-in-time anymore. It is just-in-demand. So it is JIT has become JID. And that's when the consumer becomes more important and these platforms and how they logistically source the products and what kind of supply chains do they have is important the second part of that is that these platforms are not necessarily run or built by people who know procurement they don't care about procurement procurement is just a task to them they care about basically their seo sem being able to rank highest on google enable to manage their card the best and making the largest margins on the card and so on and so forth. So those are the guys that are running these platforms, whether they are on Shopify, they are on Magento, they are on WooCommerce, they are on Amazon, they are on Fair, and no matter what platforms you think about, those are the people that are going to be the future. Uh, And then there are platforms such as Sheen and Cider and others which are coming on Instagram and other, other social media platforms which will be the future. And what we will see in the see not very far from now is the metaverse stores, which is going to be, you won't even realize you're in a store, but you're shopping. Right? Which, and that's going to change the sourcing industry. 
Interesting. Now, if we take those trends that you're talking about and run them against the trend towards people either working from home or freelancing, how do you see sort of the talent component here evolving? Uh, and so, Kelly, this is this is exactly the reason for us to start BuyHive and why we got into BuyHive, because we see these sourcing procurement people who are working for, let's say they were working for H&M, they were working for Lee and Fung, they're working for um, uh, the Robinson May and the Macy's, they're all losing jobs. They have certain skills that cannot be used anywhere else. And these guys know a lot of knowledge about manufacturing. They know the product. They understand the uh, industry. They understand the categorization of the product. They, they talk the business language. They talk the local language. And if we can put these guys to use to do the sourcing, they will help these guys on the other side. Let's say what I talked about earlier, these e-commerce players they who don't know understand sourcing if we can combine their skills with the skills of these people who understand sourcing there is a huge potential and what covid has done or this pandemic has done is it has made people aware that working remotely is not that bad working through zoom working through teams working through online platforms is possible <coughs> And I think the future is nobody's going to want to have these people full time on their payroll. They want to have these people as and when they need as a project. And that's the direction we started building BiHive into. And speaking of freelancing and different work patterns, we should acknowledge for listeners, you're currently in a, a co-working space um, and the rise of these kinds of facilities, whether one off or chains, it had started in advance of the pandemic, but yeah. now, sort of like your point about responding to demand, right? Co-working spaces are now on the rise yeah. as well because people want to work from wherever they happen to work from, but not necessarily have to work at home. It's it's nice to have a little bit of a commute, right? Sort of a mental transition as you go from home to office and then you have other people around as well. Yeah, and it's um, actually, I mean, the way I've been working in multiple uh, remote co-working spaces as I travel around the world and I meet different uh, team members and investors, etc. And one of the things I realize about cool about this kind of environment is that you actually learn a lot more than being with the same people in the same office every day. Because everybody is different. Everybody is doing something more creative. Everybody is innovating in their own ways and everybody has a different idea. Um, and what pandemic did was force people where there was no lockdowns, it forced people to work in these kind of uh, co-working spaces. Um, and, and, and people really garnered that those um, camaraderie, learning from each other, uh, crossing the boundaries. So because I, I would be in, uh, so let's say I'm in logistics and supply chain, I would not cross the bar cross the path and talk to somebody in fintech but now yeah. i am having a drink at the coffee uh, coffee machine with somebody in the uh, somebody who's doing fintech and i suddenly think oh i can apply your skills to my business and what you do to my business and there's a new business that comes out of that and that's exciting that is exciting and and speaking of that cross pollination one of the things that 
I, I think I was hearing you say, but I just want to sort of put it to you directly as a question. You know, you talked about the benefit of people with sourcing experience and people with an understanding of working in e-commerce uh, coming together to solve some of the challenges and respond to consumer desires. It sounds like we're coming to sort of a merge point, at least in some industries, between procurement and supply chain. Whereas historically in the past, procurement's been very back office and supply chain in many cases has been more logistics oriented. It sounds like there's a real value opportunity for those two groups coming together. Did I sort of hear that right in what you were sharing before? I, I would say one more thing to add to that is procurement, supply chain, as well as sales is coming together. You know, I mean, if you if you ever worked in uh, old school uh, big box retailer, the sales team was doing their own stuff. Uh, supply chain was doing their own stuff and procurement was doing their own stuff. Now they are forced to work together. Uh, even in those larger organizations, teams are being formed which are combined together. But in the environment that we are in, where the e-commerce team, to me, the way I would put it is the e-commerce sellers, those guys that sell on FAIR, those guys that sell on Shopify or Amazon, these guys are the sales teams. These guys know how to do their SEO and SEM, but they have no idea about supply chain or procurement. Then there are those guys in supply chain who know everything about logistics, who know how to product, uh, how to get the product from one place to another, etc. But they don't know about the sourcing challenges, manufacturing challenges, QA, QC, etc. And then there are the QA, QC manufacturing guys who know everything about manufacturing, but don't know anything about, let's say, sales. They just say, oh, you told me to produce this. I produced it. You cannot sell. It's your problem kind of attitude. Now, with a freelance model, it kind of makes them all work together in certain ways to benefit each other because without they now know, OK, they don't have a boss. They are their own business and they have their own skill sets. Unless until they work together, they won't have incomes. Well, that will be an interesting process to watch. As you were suggesting that we also throw sales into the mix, instantly my mind went to, oh, yeah, that's going to be interesting. Because um, you have some very different perspectives and, you know, overly generalizing, of course, some very different personalities and, and styles of networking. Um, but I can certainly see the opportunity of bringing these very different groups together forcing them to learn from each other and the creativity that will hopefully be sparked yeah. should be incredible. Yeah, Kelly, so I'll, I'll give you an example, right? So those guys that are, let, let's say somebody's selling a million dollars worth of shoes on Shopify. He's doing really well and he knows exactly how to sell, what brand sells, what, what kind of design sells, what design uh, colors and et cetera, et cetera. That's what they know. And they are getting marketing data, right? They're now capturing these, but these people who are selling today are pretty much to me, they are data salespeople. They understand the data, they analyze the data, and then they put the product that sells. And that's what Amazon does. That's all Shopify does. All these platforms enable you to do that. But when it comes to real manufacturing these products, they may or may not be able to understand the in, uh, nitty gritties of the manufacturing. For say, example, let's say it's women's shoes, right? And you see that there is this glitter shoe that sells really well. It's made on uh, PVC material and it has made in these particular sizes. You got all that data from the sales data of different platforms and you analyze, okay, this is going to sell well and I'm in the shoes business, so I'm going to sell this. But when it comes to manufacturing that particular product, 
they may not understand that to do that glitter, they would have to go through so many processes and then the QA, QC of that process, the certification of that product to sell into the US market or a European market would be very complicated. And they have no idea unless until they get the sourcing and the supply chain person on board with them, they will not be able to do this. And this is where they have to understand the importance of these people and respect that. And when you're doing that in a company, you don't have to, you don't care. You say, I'm selling this, you manage it. I don't really care. But now you are selling it and you are the person who has to be responsible for it. It changes the whole perspective for them. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely does. Um, and I, you talked a little bit before about metaverse and obviously that's sort of a forward looking thing. Um, but since we started with macro trends, I want to wrap this portion of our conversation by asking you, you know, what are you watching as you think about the trends that are up and coming as we move forward? Certainly the rise of metaverse is likely to be part of that. What are some of the other things that you're watching? Yeah. So let me, let me talk a little bit about metaverse, right? So the way I see Metaverse is going to be, let's say uh, Facebook is, uh, or Meta, sorry, not Facebook, Meta, no more Facebook. Yeah, the company uh, formerly known as Facebook. Yes, <laughs> known as Facebook. Uh, and Meta has stores which are experiential, right? You go in the stores, you, you don't even feel you're in a store, you are in an environment. You are walking around, you're doing whatever you're doing. You might be playing games, you might be doing something else. But now they know exactly, hey, Kelly is the person who likes bling bling stuff. She is the person who likes shoes and she uh, she normally uh, surfs around uh, brands like, uh, let's say, Todd's. So now there is a profile being built. When you go into the metaverse and you are maybe even just playing a game or you're just uh, visiting, uh, let's say, a tourist destination in the metaverse and you suddenly at that destination, you will see that Todd's like shoe, which is really cool, which is bling bling. And you would be saying, hey, I might be able to buy this. I'm interested in this. And what the metaverse will enable you to do is to buy that and get it shipped to your own location without you even really thinking about it. It would be like a natural process. You say, oh, this shoe looks good on me. I've tried it on in the metaverse. It looks really cool and it is really great. And you would buy it and it will come shipped to your location. And that's the future in terms of metaverse where it comes to. And the way I see metaverse or what we are going towards, it's a tool. It's like we, we started internet in 1D, then we started internet in 2D, and we are going to the 3D or a 4D environment in the metaverse. That's what metaverse is to me. It's the 4D environment which you are going to feel and touch and kind of sense it. And they are going to use it, use the data about you to help you buy stuff that you probably don't need. Well, you know me very well, Manesh, because you're absolutely right on both fronts. I absolutely love my bling and I absolutely love shoes. So <laughs> I am going to look forward to that metaverse shopping experience. Uh, but as we start to wind down our time, I want to put a question to you. Well, it's actually a pair of questions. And this is something that I address with everyone that joins me here on The Sourcing Hero. So you have a choice. I would ask you either, what is your definition of a sourcing hero or how do you define heroism in a business context? Um, I have a common answer for both of them, right? Um, and the answer is very simple. Heroism is, in, in terms of a business concept 
or in terms of sourcing is somebody who or person company individual uh, who can actually help you make the process that you're doing whether it is a sourcing process it is a sales process any other process in your organization more efficiently and more effectively and that's the person you want so if i was hiring somebody in my team a hero in my team i'm always thinking is this person going to make my business more efficient are they going to save me money by being more efficient or effective in their own ways and that's what you look for right i mean there is no um, no other person that is more important to you that is efficient and effective uh, for your business and how you grow your business well minesh this has been a fascinating conversation we've actually touched on some things today that have never come up in any of the other sourcing hero episodes so i appreciate you sharing your expertise with us if people have listened in today and don't know you or would like to connect, what is the best way for them to get in touch? Um, they can get in touch with me on LinkedIn. They can see Minesh Pore and they'll find only one me on LinkedIn. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being here with me, Minesh. I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, Kelly. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero Podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for The Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget, sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.